Our scripture reading today is from the beautiful letter of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you ever play dress-up? Ever play dress-up? Raise your hand. Be brave. How how did you dress up? Who did you dress up like? What did you do? Somebody help me out here. Cowboy. Dressed up like a cowboy. Okay. A lady. A princess. A bride. Yeah. You dress what? Anybody else? Martha Washington. Okay. Anybody else? Did you ever play dress up? Western outlaw. Western outlaw. Uh, another question. If you were to dress up like a Bible character, what character would you choose? Mary? Jesus. You would. Okay. That's rare, but uh, anybody else? Deborah. An angel. A donkey. There you go. That might be good for all of us, huh? (laughs) Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, some of you guys are sitting there and thinking, what a stupid question. I never play dress-up. Did you ever play basketball or football or ride a bike or, you know, sports characters dress up every time they play sports? So it's probably something that we've all done. We've dressed up and taken on another uh, persona. In fact, uh, it's still very popular to dress up like Elvis Presley, right? If you'd like to have a party. Uh, He's been dead 30 years this August, but uh, nevertheless, there are lots of Elvis Presleys roaming around, folks that look and sound just about like Elvis. This morning, uh, it is Palm Sunday, and while Christmas is the most popular time of year, Easter is the most important. If you go through the Gospels, uh, there are about four chapters in the Gospels on the cradle of Christ. There are about 25 or 6 chapters on the cross of Christ. It's about a 6 to 1 ratio. Church, this is our week. If there is any week that's important to you as a follower of Jesus, it's this week. Today begins Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. Now, during Lent uh, and Palm Sunday, 
we look at the suffering of Jesus Christ. But today, as most of your Bibles will say at the heading, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is the time when Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem. In fact, in Luke 19, we read, He, Jesus, when He came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. John adds to that, they took palm branches and went out to meet Him shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! It was a festival. It was a great day. This year, as we've gone through Lent, we've gathered each Wednesday to look at some portion of uh, Scripture that talks about the cross of Christ, His suffering. Dr. David Scholler put that series together for us, and he said, Steve, what I'd like to do this year, rather than looking at the Gospels, let's look outside the Gospels for where it speaks of the suffering of Christ, or the cross. And so each Wednesday we've been gathering, and we'll wrap it up this Wednesday. We have dinner at 545, great fellowship and then we open the Word, and someone teaches, and they've all been just wonderful. Now, I thought I would take a clue and a lead from the good doctor, and so instead of preaching from the Gospels this morning, I would follow another text, which is Philippians chapter 2, about not exactly Palm Sunday, but certainly about this time of year. And so this morning, if you like to follow along, you can turn to page 147 uh, in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 as we look at uh, some sections of that chapter. As I was reading over these scriptures during the week, I was in one translation, and here's what I read in verse 5, Philippians 2.5. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. And what grabbed my attention were those words, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Now, technically speaking, sit up, listen up for just a minute, one paragraph of technically speaking, the words relationship are not in this verse. In fact, the King James Version puts it very well when it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's the verse. So there's nothing about relationships in there. But as I read that, uh, what grabbed me was that this translation put in there, in your relationships with one another. Let the attitude or mind that Christ had be your attitude or mind. And I thought, wow, what, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Now, to insert that phrase, in your relationships with one another, is very appropriate because Before this passage, Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's saying to them, hey, in the church, you need to get along with one another and here's how you should behave and interact one with another. And then after this passage, same thing. So he's talking to the church about their relationships with each other. So let me break it down for you. If we were applying this to ourselves, what would he be saying to us? Well, he would be saying to you who are married, in your relationship with your spouse... He would be saying to parents and children, in your relationships, parents and children. He would be saying to church members, Sunday school teachers and class, church members, in your relationships with one another. And then he goes on to spell it out. Now, the surprise is that you'd think he'd be like uh, most preachers today. And he'd say, now, here are five points to a great relationship, or three. But that's not what he says. He gives one of the deepest, most theological passages in all of Scripture. And so this morning, as we uh, 
think about this, and as I was turning this over, what grabbed me, what, what is the attitude or mind of Jesus Christ? What on earth does that mean? And I'd like to ask you the question this morning, what does it mean to be like Christ? What does that mean? Now, I'm going to do the easy part first. It's easy to say what it does not mean. Okay, let's begin there. It does not mean, and by the way, if you want to follow along in your notes, uh, when we talk about being like Christ, it does not mean physically. How many of you would like to know what Jesus looks like? About half of you are saved. How many of you would like to know what Jesus looks like? I mean, I would. Jordan, stand up. Uh, blonde hair, long hair. If, if you'll show up on Thursday, this is Jesus, right? We're going to do a depiction. Thank you very much. We're going to do the Last Supper. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a drama. And Jordan is playing Jesus. He's, you can talk to him about how that feels after the service. But you and I understand that when we talk about being like Christ, nobody is saying you need to grow your hair out and look like Jesus, right? That's not the idea. So when we say, what does it mean to be like Christ? We don't mean that you're physically going to be like Christ. Nor do we mean your personality is going to be like Christ. You may be a type A, you may be a type Z. I don't know what type Jesus was. But we're not saying that your personality is going to be the same personality of Jesus Christ, an introvert and extrovert. We're not trying to be like Jesus personally with our personality. And the other thing that's easy to say, that as we talk about being like Christ, we're, our, your purpose for living is not the same as Jesus' purpose for living. Jesus' mission is not your mission. That's one, one of the bad things about the what WWJD. What Jesus did and what you do are two different things. And so, what was Jesus' mission? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, um, it talks about that. Let me read to you a couple of verses, Philippians 2, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, back up to verse 5, it says, Let the same mind be in you, or let the attitude of Christ be in you. Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if you look at those verses, we start out with Jesus in heaven, and he empties himself or gives up whatever that is of God to come to earth and to live on earth and be obedient unto death. We call this the kenosis passage. Jesus giving up or emptying himself. Now, as I read that to you, here again, verse 5. Listen again to verse 5. In your relationships with one another... Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. We're not talking about your purpose for living. We're not talking about how you physically look or your personality. But the question is, well, then what should I have? What is the mind or the attitude or the understanding of Christ that I should have in your relationships with one another? Have this. So I want to put it in the form of a question. Can we say that when you have a servant attitude, you are like Christ. 
Just a thought. Can we say that when you have, in your relationships with other people in the church, that when you have a servant attitude, you are like Christ? Let's look at the Scripture that we just read a moment ago. It says that He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. So, two things are very clear. Jesus came to earth and was a human. He was a person, a man. The second thing is clear. He didn't choose to be a a king on a throne or an executive or anything else. He came to be a servant. That's the kind of human he was, a servant. Now, this passage is actually a very ancient hymn in the church. And the hymn tells the Jesus story. That is, the hymn begins with Jesus in heaven. And he gives up whatever he was and had in heaven to come to earth, it says very clearly, to be born like you and I were born, a human being, flesh and blood. If you cut Jesus, he'd bleed. And so he came to earth, and he lived out his life, and he was obedient unto dying as God called him to die on a cross. And then what happened? Well, this, this hymn ends back in heaven. You can see it. Christ in heaven, he comes to earth, he goes back. Listen to the final verses here. They're just glorious. It says, after the phrase about him dying on a cross, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What a great statement. And so this servant Jesus came to earth. He gave up his riches to serve. Now, the word servant, as Jesus took on human form and became a servant, it's the word doulos. You can say slave or servant, doesn't matter. And his final act of serving, of course, was the cross. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he made this statement about himself. I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. And you understand that. On Monday, Thursday, we're going to hear the story of Jesus. And people are always confused. In fact, somebody asked me this morning, Monday, what does that mean? And uh, we only use the word once a year, and only in some of the stranger churches like this do we even use it, Monday, Thursday. And somebody's always confused, did you misspell Monday? Did you mean Monday, Thursday? Is this Monday through Thursday? No, Monday is the Latin for, for the word for mandate, a new commandment. Monday, mandate, you hear the similarity? And what is the new commandment? Well, on Holy Thursday, we're going to talk about the new commandment that you should love one another. And you remember the story? Jesus took the towel in the basin. He washed the disciples' feet on Holy Thursday, Monday Thursday. That was an act of what? Service. And he told the twelve that, as I have done to you, so you should do to one another. And he encouraged them to serve one another. Now, in your relationships, I must ask you, are you a servant? Now, let's get personal. I'm married. Am I a servant to my wife? Do I have that attitude? Is she a servant to me? Do I serve my children? Am I willing to serve you as pastor of this church? Are you willing to serve me? You see, when when the Scripture says, in your relationships with one another, 
have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, he really is talking about how you and I relate to each other, isn't he? And how you relate with every other person in this church. And all people, actually. And the question is, well, would it be to, like Christ if I had a servant's attitude? Would that be like Christ? One other comment here. Paul begins this little letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. Last Wednesday, several of our church members, uh, Mary Ann with our children's ministry and Dan and Edie and Marcy and Jackie, all went, they heard of a need. Uh, someone needed their apartment cleaned, some clothes washed, some bedding cleaned and washed. So they spent about all day doing that. Now, would you say that they were like Christ when they served this person in that ministry of scrubbing down walls and floors, etc.? I mean, think about it. Is that an attitude or an action that Christ would have? I read this story that I want to share with you. It's from uh, somebody named Thomas Hilton, and it's a story that goes way back, years ago. He tells the story that uh, there was a missionary couple that had spent all their life serving in Africa. And they were coming home. They were retiring. Their health was gone. They had no funds. They were very poor. And they were on a steamship, no planes in those days, coming back to the States to stay. And it turns out that President Theodore Roosevelt was on the same ship. And he had been on one of his hunting expeditions in Africa. And as they pulled into the port in New York City, of course, the mayor came out, the city came out, the bands played. There was a huge welcome for the president steaming in as he came back from this hunting trip as he came home. Everybody showed up to welcome him. Well, they got off the ship, and there was all this fanfare. And, of course, the missionary couple got off, and they went, and they had to find a little a flat to live in there in New York City. And after they settled in, the gentleman was just in a horrible mood and just awful. And his wife asked him what was wrong, and he said, I am bitter. He said, we've spent all these years serving God. We come home, our health is gone, we have no funds, and no one's there to greet us. And look at how they greet the president after he just gets back from a hunting trip. And he was just upset. He just felt, you know, I've kind of wasted my life here. What? This is terrible. And so this went on. He was just in a bitter funk. And his wife finally said, you need to go to the bedroom and get alone with God. And he said, you're right. And so he was gone a long time. And he came back, and uh, it was obvious that his... He was different. Something had changed. And as he talked with his wife, she, he, she said, well, obviously you prayed. And he said, yes, I did. And I told God how bitter I was. I told God that I was upset. It just didn't seem fair to spend my whole life in service to the Lord and come back and nobody seems to know or care and we're broke in so many ways. He said, I just told God all that. And I said, you know, here's the president. He goes off on a little expedition and when he comes home, everybody is there to welcome him. And his wife said, well, what did God say to you? And the old missionary said, well, God reminded me, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And that's it, isn't it? As we serve one another in our relationships. And so, what is the attitude or mind of Christ? What would it mean to be like Christ? Well, it might mean that we have a servant's attitude. Here's a poem. I don't know who the author is. It's a question to God. Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. God pointed out a tiny little spot and said, 
tend that place for me. I answered him quickly, Oh, no, not that. Why, no one would ever see. No matter how well my work was done, not that little place for me. The word he spoke then was not stern. He answered me tenderly. Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. Now, if you want to have a servant's attitude, you might consider some questions like this. I put them in your, your note sheet. Questions uh, such as, how can I help? In any situation, in your mind, the question, how can I help? Or the question, can I do some good here? Or the question, am I following Jesus' command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? What do you think? Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you have a servant's attitude? Now let's come back to our verse 5. In your relationships with one another, let the mind of Christ be in you. Have Christ's mind. Can we say that when we have a humble attitude, we are like Christ? Back to our text, it says in verse 8 of Jesus, He humbled Himself. I become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the word humble is not a word we use much in our culture outside the church. And why would we? Because the word means low. It means to bring down. The Bible talks about the mountains being lowered. That means they're humbled. And so, uh, to humble is to come down. It's to, to lose height. And aren't, you know, who wants to do that? Aren't we taught to climb the ladder of success? Don't we want to go up? I mean, after all, aren't we supposed to be moving up in life? And so when we talk about humility, it runs contrary to what we talk about outside the church, doesn't it? But what does the Scripture say about Jesus? It says that He humbled Himself and became obedient. Obedience often requires humility, a willingness to be submissive. In fact... When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he was writing about money, and he lifted Jesus up as an example, and he said these words, You know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, rich as he was, he made himself poor for your sake, in order that you might become rich. Jesus made himself poor to make you rich. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. Now, if you have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus has, What does that look like for you? Uh, One woman wrote these words about humility. Humility is facing the truth. It is useful to remind myself that the word itself comes from humus, earth, dirt, and in the end simply means that I allow myself to be earthed in the truth that lets God be God and myself be God's creature. If I hold on to this truth, it helps prevent me from putting myself at the center and instead allows me to put God and others at the center. In your outline, I've got several quotes. Let me read a couple of them um, about humility. (laughs) I like this one. It is a great burden, a great burden to live among others who think that you have arrived. Why not offload the burden today? Mother Teresa said these words, Confession is nothing but humility in action. 
I'm sure you all watch basketball, right? College basketball. I'm talking about the games today. The women's Final Four. You're all going to be there watching that. Do you know who Pat Summit is? Yeah. Who is she? Tennessee. Pat Summit is probably the best basketball coach in women's basketball. The guy in Connecticut may be the other best one. Uh, she has coached many championships teams. Her team, again, is in the Final Four. She wrote a book about her success, and I've heard her speak. She's quite a character. And uh, a number of years ago, she coached the women's Olympic team and won a gold medal. And so she was on TV a lot. Her face was out there. And, you know, when you're the women's basketball coach in Tennessee, even though you're a championship team, the nation doesn't really know about you. But she talked about after the Olympics, it seemed like everybody knew me. You know, my face had been on TV. And in her chapter, she has a chapter title. It's called Handle Success Like You Handle Failure. That's good. And at the opening of that chapter, she tells this story. She said that right after the Olympics, she was in the South at a restaurant with some very good friends. And she noticed throughout the meal that there were these ladies looking at her, and she thought, oh, they've seen me on TV. So she got up to go to the bathroom, and she walked by, and I can't imitate her style, but she said, how y'all doing uh, to the ladies at the table? And they said, oh, we're doing fine. And one of the women said, don't I know you? Haven't we met? And Pat said to her, no, I don't think so. And then she said, the woman at the table said to Pat, don't you work at the local Ace Hardware? And her friends back at the table, Pat's friends, heard that comment and just were rolling on the floor laughing because they knew Pat thought that, you know, I'm famous now. These ladies think they've seen me on TV. Well, it's a good story. And one of the questions humble people ask themselves is this. Do I laugh at myself? That's a great question. Humble people are able to laugh at themselves. They take God more seriously and themselves less seriously. Now, another question humble people ask themselves is this. Can I learn from you? And they expect to learn from everyone. Another question humble people ask themselves, what is my mission here? What am I supposed to be doing here? Now, a few moments ago, I asked you the question, do you ever play dress-up? The Bible says that you're supposed to. In fact, yesterday, standing right here, I read the passage from Colossians at a wedding where it says, you are to put on, paraphrase, dress-up in Christ, to put on Christ. So, this morning, I want to ask you, what does it mean? What does it mean to be like Christ? Could it mean that you serve someone? Could it mean that you're a humble person? The Scripture says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Now, I'd like for you to stand with me, and I'd like to conclude this with a prayer together. And as we stand, if those who are serving communion would come forward and be seated at the front. You've got this prayer in your notes. You can take it home with you. I encourage you to pray it every day. But uh, I'd like for you to uh, pray it with me now. It's a great prayer, and it highlights what we're talking about today. Let's pray together. The word Lord is not up there, but let's start with the word Lord, okay? Lord, give us a pure heart that we may see Thee, a humble heart, that we may hear Thee, a heart of love, that we may serve Thee, a heart of faith, that we may live Thee. Please be seated.
We're going to partake of communion this morning and serve you where you're seated. We'll serve you the bread and then the cup. I like variety, and so we're going to do it a little differently today. Are you listening? Good. Let me first explain. This is the Lord's table. It's not First Baptist table. It's not Steve's table. It's not the deacon's table. It's the Lord's table. And Jesus is the one who invites us here. Uh, We read in Scripture that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread... And he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. And so we're here right now to remember Jesus. He also took the cup and said, as often as you drink this cup, remember me. And so we're here to drink the cup and remember Jesus. I want to encourage you that by taking of the bread and drinking of the cup, you are saying that I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins, that he's forgiven me, that he's given me eternal life, a home in heaven. And I encourage you to partake today, stating your belief in Christ. Now, Jesus didn't say how often we should do this. We can do it frequently or less frequently. He didn't even say where we need to do it. In fact, the first communion was not in a church at all. It was in a home. It was at a dinner. Every dinner I've ever been to, people talk to each other. There's a lot of conversation jokes, serious conversation. And so today we're going to have a conversation while we partake. And what I'd like to do is this. I'm going to uh, tell you and then I'm going to show you and the words are going to be on the screen. So we'll hope that you get this right. But are you ready? Okay, great. Um, When we pass the bread to you, those who are serving the bread are going to say this to you as they pass the bread. They're going to say to you, this is the body of Christ. And you're going to respond, Jesus is Lord. Okay? So let's, let's try that. Uh, I might uh, say to Bill, if he's receiving this, this is the body of Christ. And Bill's going to say, Jesus is Lord. You got that? All right, let's try one time. Let's pretend that you're being served. This is the body of Christ. Now, when they pass that to you, so let's start with Joyce. She's going to then pass the bread to Chandra. What's Joyce going to say? This is the body of Christ. And Chandra is going to respond, Jesus is Lord. So you're going to say both these. You're going to, as you serve someone, you're going to say, this is the body of Christ. And then when you are served and partake, you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. And we're not going to wait and partake together today. So as you feel led to take the bread, you may take it in your seat. And then we'll do the same with the cups. So if you'll stand, we'll uh, serve now. Grace of the past of 
Now, you did well. That's great. And uh, as we serve one another the cup, we're going to change it a little bit. Uh, I want you to say this time, this is the cup of Christ the King. And you're going to respond because Jesus is Lord, and then you fill in the blank. Okay? So the person serving you is going to say, this is the cup of Christ the King. And then the one receiving it will say, because Jesus is Lord, what might be some things you'd respond with? I love him. I'm forgiven. Because Jesus is Lord, I have hope. Because Jesus is Lord, I have a new life. There are all kinds of things you can put in, okay? So I'll ask the ushers to stand now and we'll serve you the cup and you may serve one another and partake.